Welcome to the Progress Your Health podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progress Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. So on this episode today, we're going to discuss something that does actually uh, you know, come up quite a bit. I had an interaction with a new patient last week. And of course, she's in, in her early to mid 50s, going through some of the classic menopausal symptoms. And then she, in the beginning of our discussion, she had mentioned that she was told that she's estrogen dominant. And of course, I, you know, I try not to chuckle or try not to laugh, not in a mean way, but just in an understanding that a menopausal woman physiologically, as her estrogen levels are declining, physiologically cannot be estrogen dominant no matter what. Now, there may be some strange scenarios where maybe a woman is kind of late going into menopause. You know, that's certainly possible. But collectively, I thought it would be a good idea for you and I to clarify and give our opinion about what we think estrogen dominance is and what it looks like on a regular basis. Yeah, because estrogen dominance is actually a very popular term. I get it myself, not just the, some menopausal females. I actually get it from premenopausal females or, you know, menstruating females. They'll say, I think I'm estrogen dominant. And in some ways, it's a little bit too simplistic like that because as females and males too, you know, we all have a lot of hormones and women in particular have even more hormones. You know, I've always kind of likened it to a symphony, you know, when and when one hormone is out of balance or one instrument is out of balance, then you can really notice it with the music playing. So when someone says I'm estrogen dominant, I think it's a little bit more simple, you know, a simple thought there because there's so many other hormones that are at play that honestly, you know, I think the term is a little bit off because it's really more about the balance of all the hormones. Yeah, right. And like you said, the symphony analogy, I think gets used a lot. You can't just have one hormone out of balance because if that one hormone's out of balance, there's a trickle down effect or there's kind of a collateral damage effect to other things because one hormone affects another one that affects another one that affects another one. And pretty soon there's a whole bunch of them that are out of balance and then leading to a certain type or profile of symptoms that show up. So I know you did some research. We always plan these episodes out. We kind of get an idea what we're going to talk about. And you did some, like a just a brief internet search of estrogen dominant symptoms. So we're going to kind of run through those and kind of give our take on what we think is really leading up to those symptoms. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, went online and Googled estrogen dominance so we can get a, kind of get a list so I can see what patients are looking at before they come and see me and then say that they're estrogen dominant. But just to kind of, you know, clarify, it's not, estrogen is a big player. Estrogen, honestly, I think is the best hormone in the world. It's what makes us female. It, you know, it makes us sexy. You know, I love estrogen, but when it's not balanced properly with other hormones, then it can act like a little bit of a runaway train. So when we're looking at this where we're gonna really gonna delve into a little bit more it's not just about estrogen it's about progesterone it's about your thyroid it's about your adrenal hormones it's about your metabolic hormones so with that said you know we I had I found a whole list of basically kind of some symptoms
symptoms that might kind of portray estrogen dominance. And we thought we'd go over them a little bit and kind of break it apart a little bit so that you can understand it. And then later we'll probably go into not probably not on this podcast, because then it would be like three hours long is maybe go into later on some other podcasts, a little bit more into detail about the treatment and some of the, you know, a little bit more of the pathophysiology with it. Yeah, right. Because unfortunately, as we've said on many of these episodes, the conventional approach is just to give a woman birth control, no matter really what the problem is. And we're not really fans of that approach really much at all, because we don't really think that it solves anything. And in some ways, it can be a little bit dangerous and just kind of creates a new set of problems and symptoms. You know, by putting a really easy, simple band-aid on that problem that Uh, we'd rather fix it and resolve it, kind of do something that is more conducive than than not. That's another discussion for later. So first off on the list is, of course, PMS, right? That is the age range from a teenager to a woman in their 20s, 30s, early 40s. PMS symptoms would be kind of a, a classic symptom, if you want to call it that, maybe more like a syndrome of what could be portrayed as estrogen dominance. And really, it's like we always talk about, it's that balance between the estrogen and the progesterone when you're looking at sort of exacerbated or heightened PMS symptoms. Some of you all have PMS symptoms to some extent, but a lot of people, you know, when things are balanced, they don't really notice PMS. They might notice, hey, I'm Maybe I crave a little bit more chocolate a couple days before my period, but somebody with excessive PMS, they can feel irritable, grumpy, you know, heightened levels of PMS anywhere from 10 to 14 days before their period. And that is because, not because the estrogen is necessarily too high, but because the progesterone is too low. Because typically after you ovulate, which is in a perfect 28 day cycle, day 14, and that progesterone is supposed to come up nicely, peak at day 21, and then gently glide itself down to day 28. And then you have your period. And somebody with excessive PMS or heightened levels of PMS, they're going to have that progesterone isn't going to necessarily be released at the high level it should be and then gently nicely come down. If anything, it's probably just a little low between day 14 and 28. So then the estrogen is not necessarily high, but she's the leader. And then that ends up causing those PMS symptoms. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I think that you and I definitely look at that as being certainly a progesterone issue as opposed to an estrogen issue. So moving on to the, you know, some of the other things that we found. So fibrocystic breast tissue, that one, we could probably agree that that is a little bit more on the estrogen driven side, right? So having a, an excess, maybe some extra metabolites floating around could create some of those densities in the breast tissue. Yeah, I do think fibrocystic density is more of an estrogen or maybe a little bit elevated estrogen or estrogen metabolites because as we've always talked about before is estrogen likes to grow things. So if it is not opposed by other hormones in particular, you know, progesterone and thyroid and adrenal, then she can grow a lot of things in particular breast tissue because breast tissue is so sensitive to estrogen. So that's where you'll get that fibrocystic density. Right. And as a lot of women that probably have fibrocystic tissue, also caffeine can exacerbate that. So if you're having coffee or even tea, certainly energy drinks, you might want to- Or chocolate. Yeah, or chocolate. You might want to reduce your consumption of those, which of course are very common things and it's kind of very difficult to do sometimes. But if you do have lots of fibrocystic tissue, it might be a good idea to decrease consumption. So moving on, of course, this would kind of go in with the PMS, but having abnormal or irregular periods. Yeah. So two periods in a month, super, super heavy periods, crampy periods, clotty periods, long, long periods, lots of spotting, 
that's really common when you have, again, the estrogen and the progesterone are imbalanced. So I would say more so with the abnormal periods or the heavy periods, it's not necessarily that your estrogen is surging to, you know, high levels. It really is, again, that progesterone isn't coming up to sufficient levels to balance out the growing effects. Like I said, estrogen likes to grow things. So that thickening effect of estrogen. Right. And that bleeding issue, if you look at the, if you kind of graphed out the hormonal change that happens on a monthly basis, the monthly cycle, the 28 day cycle that women go through is really kind of two separate cycles. You have the first half, which is what they refer to as the follicular phase that is predominated by estrogen. And the second half is the luteal phase, which is predominated by progesterone. So really you only have progesterone for kind of half the month you really only have a predominance of estrogen for only half the month. And that when that balance, as you've mentioned a couple of times, when the balance or the relationship between those two hormones gets skewed, not enough of one, too much of the other, at least relatively too much of the other, then all these things start to show up a little bit. So uh, next one on the list that we found is headaches. What are your thoughts on headaches? Yeah, hormonal headaches are really common. You'll see it from anybody from, you know, the age of 14 to 47. It's really common. And if you notice that your headaches and or migraines are a little bit more triggered too, like your migraines are worse or you're having chronic headaches from in, if you're menstruating female from day 14 to day 28. So the last half of the cycle, like Dr. Mackey mentioned the luteal phase of the cycle, if your headaches are predominantly in that time period, that is a hormonal headache. And that is usually from not really too much estrogen, but from too little progesterone. Right. If you are having headaches or migraines and there is a little bit of a cyclical pattern to it, if it seems like it's happening every single month, Pay attention, look at your calendar, kind of overlay that what your cycle is and guaranteed it's going to be the seven to 10 days before you begin menstruating more than likely, or at least most of the time. So next one on the list, of course, is breast tenderness or breast swelling. What are your thoughts on that? That I do think is an estrogen issue because estrogen metabolites, having high estrogen metabolites, having elevated estrogen, because like I had mentioned, you know, the breast tissue is so sensitive to estrogen and estrogen itself likes causes water weight. So with the water weight that tends to cause tends to happen in the breast tissue. So women will say, I mean, you know, my breasts feel so full. I feel like I'm a one size bigger. And of course, coming from a small bosomed gal myself, I get a little jealous when people say that, but you do definitely see that more often in larger breasted females because their tissue is so sensitive to that estrogen is they will, you know, they'll say it's, it's so heavy. It's so uncomfortable. That I think is more of an estrogen issue. Granted, balancing the progesterone can definitely help, but working on trying to bring down those estrogen metabolites are probably the key in that. But like, I said, we're going to go into, you know, treatment and causes could be a whole nother hour. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Complicated for sure. And then the next one on the list that you put together is weight gain and especially weight gain around the midsection. Oh yeah. We all know as females that belly fat, you know, I have women that sit in my office and they will grab their bellies. Cause I get it and say, I have never had this before. Where did this come from? I've always had such a flat stomach. And so normally you see that more with that kind of they think that it's hormones. You know, they say, hey, you know, it's my hormones, my hormones. I've never had this belly fat before. But really, like I talked about earlier, it's we've been talking about estrogen, progesterone, but there's so many other hormones that have play with that is your insulin and your cortisol are very closely connected to the estrogen progesterone, which is why you see belly fat in females and maybe it might be a little bit different in males, but it's definitely, I would say, not so much an estrogen dominance issue as it is more about an insulin and a cortisol issue. 
Yeah, exactly. And weight gain in general really has very little to do. I mean, it has some to do with estrogen progesterone. That's why you're slimmer when you're 25 than when you're 55 for both men and women. But it has everything to do with insulin and cortisol. And that becomes much more of an issue. When the female hormones and the male hormones are gone when you're 55, it makes you kind of more what I would say, maybe more responsive or more sensitive to those metabolic hormones. And then of course, if the weight is going around the midsection for women, which is gender specific, not typical, right? Women usually put it around the hips and thighs because that's where the estrogen receptors are. When it's going around the middle, that is classically seen as being cortisol weight that has been redistributed because it's not supposed to go there. And think of society, right? We're all busy, we're all stressed, we don't sleep enough, we're all exercising too much, all the things that we've talked about in other episodes. And that's why that accumulation of the belly fat around the middle, it just keeps going up and up and up. But it really doesn't have that much directly to do with estrogen. The estrogen dominance kind of as a idea or a concept or a pathophysiology, as you just mentioned, is really more of an insulin problem than is an estrogen problem. The estrogen is responding to the insulin because that's about survival and reproduction and all these things. And then it just eventually kind of goes amok. And again, you start having all these problems. And then the next one on our list is mood swings. We hear about mood swings all the time. I'm surprised that we don't get phone calls like from husbands directly, right? Like, but we do women, I have to give them credit. They are a little bit self-deprecating and they are, they do admit, you know, my poor husband, my poor husband, because there's certain times of the month or there's certain situations where the women act a little bit crazy and they say that themselves, right? You know, it's not the husband saying that, but the husbands are kind of taking the brunt of these mood swings that happen on a, literally sometimes on a weekly, if not definitely on a monthly basis. And I think with the mood swings, which can happen at any age, but you probably see them more in like the late thirties and in the forties has to do with this sort of differentiation between estrogen and progesterone. So like I'd mentioned low progesterone, you know, I've been talking about low progesterone, low progesterone, but normal estrogen levels typically cause a female to be irritable, grumpy, snarky, things that normally wouldn't bother them really bother them. Even things that really nobody has control over like breathing or eating really aggravate you when your so, progesterone so is when too I'm, low. So when I'm eating, does it bother you? <laughs> well, I happen to be balancing my progesterone a whole lot better, but but I will tell you sometimes, yeah, breathing, I hear you swallowing. Why are you sniffing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm asking that you know question a little bit tongue in cheek because I know the answer to it. So the answer is a big fat yes. She does have a problem with the way I breathe and the way I eat and the way that... Whatever. But, you know, that's why we're talking about it, because it's not necessarily me. It's not necessarily you. It's just that, you know, your hormones are just that way. Yeah, it's that hormonal balance. And I would be the first one to say if I have a hormonal balance, it's more about my progesterone being low rather than my estrogen being too high. Because women with having higher levels of estrogen, they're not really necessarily irritable. They're weepy. They're nostalgic. They're sad. They're a little bit more depressed, where the low progesterone gals are a little bit like, which I can definitely group myself into, but you know, I'm, you know, we're all working on balancing things, but low progesterone girls are irritable, wound up and, you know, pushy where the higher estrogen gals are for the mood wise is more sad and weepy and kind of a little, you know, more nostalgic and depressed. 
Right. Yeah. That's a really very subjective, right? You know, when you're talking about mood and emotions, those are very subjective things, but that's a very, I think that's a very clear distinction. So when you start, or at least when we talk to people and we, you know, they tell us their story, I do ask people a lot. I know you do as well. What's the predominant emotion you feel? And they're sometimes a little bit taken aback by that. Like, why are you asking me that? But you know, they always come back with the same responses. It's either irritable or they're frustrated, or like you said, they're a little bit melancholy or sad. It gives you an idea of where the hormones are at that point. Of course, with the rest of their situation, but it really helps you kind of hone in on what the problem is. So the next one, of course, this is another one we hear a lot of is a decreased sex drive. And necessarily... Well, honestly, I wouldn't say a low sex drive is because of too much estrogen. In fact, estrogen, like I've always said, is a, is the most awesome hormone in the world that you need estrogen for females to have a sex drive. Testosterone in men, they get a sex drive with their testosterone. You give a female some testosterone, it might help their sex drive a little bit, but it's all about the estrogen. So having a kind of what you could say per se estrogen dominance, I wouldn't say that would necessarily affect your sex drive as it would maybe more having progesterone insufficiency or having low progesterone and then you're moody and irritable. And when you're kind of grumpy and snarky, you definitely don't want to be intimate with your partner whose breathing bothers you and their chewing is bothering you. <laughs> I'll work on that. No, I'm just kidding. No, please. So as we said just a second ago, when it comes to libido, it really has probably a lot more to do with insulin and everything to do with cortisol. When you're stressed, you know, whatever, for all the reasons that we've talked about, sleep and work and family and juggling all the things we have to juggle, that's why the libido disappears. That's why you're having problems because you're right. Estrogen is what makes a woman a woman. Testosterone is what makes a man a man. They, men would love to probably have a problem of having too much testosterone, but women having too much estrogen, that's happening for, like we've talked about, kind of an indirect reason, but that wouldn't be a reason why she would lose her libido. No, no, because even like in menopause, when a female's estrogen starts to decline, which is inevitable in menopause, they act, that's when they lose their sex drive. So I feel like, you know, the sex drive is really more important about having enough estrogen. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So next on the list is, this is probably the classic, I would say anyways, classic kind of the estrogen dominance kind of situation, fibroids, polyps, exacerbated endometriosis. Yeah. So like I had mentioned before, estrogen likes to grow things. So if she isn't necessarily being balanced by the other hormones, she'll just take off and grow lots of things. Like I'd mentioned the breast tissue, but also the uterine lining, it can cause that thickening with the heavy periods, but fibroids, which is basically, it's a benign tumor inside the uterus or in the walls of the uterus is it grow fibroids. That's why after a female goes through menopause, if they had fibroids or have fibroids, they tend to shrink and get smaller because they don't have that estrogen around anymore to supply it. Polyps, polyps can also run in the family. They run in my family. They're like little polyps in the uterine lining, kind of like jello. And, but they are, you know, I do feel like they're probably growing more because you're making a lot of estrogen or you have a lot of estrogen metabolites. Um, endometriosis is a way whole another topic in itself in terms of, because I believe endometriosis can be slightly autoimmune and then there's all, you know, and how a theory on how it actually originates. But endometriosis, I do think if your estrogen is high, it will aggravate that line because it's endometriosis is lining of the uterus. So the uterine lining seated outside of the uterus. So it can be on the fallopian tubes. It can be on the ovaries. It can be on your bladder. It can be on your colon, but if that estrogen is a little elevated, it can cause that lining to thicken up and exacerbate endometriosis. Yeah. And that, uh, like I said, endometriosis is its own kind of separate animal, right? That's a really complicated one. And one of those conditions, even 
that really not, of course, there's a lot known about it, but there's a lot that's not known about it. That can be a challenging one, especially when there's lots of pain involved, right? A woman just wants that pain to go away because she's miserable on a monthly basis. You know, that's one of those situations where sometimes a hysterectomy really is the only option they have because they've tried everything else and, you know, it may not work. Sometimes you can have a really a lot of success right away, which we'll talk more about treatment on another one. But the other times, no matter what you do, you don't really you don't really make lots of progress that way. But certainly there's also, would you say, I know when we were talking about this and this is not to be insensitive, but just to kind of state it for what it is, there's a certain kind of body type or a profile uh, for the type of woman that has the fibroids and those different kind of growths that are related to the estrogen. Yeah. So as females, we all have estrogen and progesterone, but everybody has it in a little bit different balance for themselves. And that's their uniqueness of being their own female. So of course, when you look at lab reference ranges, they're huge. So don't go by those. But in terms of, you know, little body types, women that make a little bit more estrogen tend to have, like I said, estrogen likes to grow things. So they have a little bit more bigger bosoms and they, you know, they're a little bit more curvy. They have a little bit more fat pads and, and all the right places. And then women that have a little bit more progesterone. They do better with higher levels of progesterone. Cause I have some women, I give them progesterone and they feel awful. That's because they're more of an estrogen based body type, but women that have more of a progesterone based body type tend to have, of course, those nice long limbs, a little bit more leaner, a little bit more athletic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you can almost tell based on, like I said, the profile, you know, where they fit just based on that alone. Not to say, of course, there's genetics and all different things that play into that, but you can kind of see with that when, yeah. especially when you're trying to treat somebody that might be menopausal. So we're going to do a little hormone replacement. We don't want to do too much of one thing and too little of another because we're just doing it basically as a cookie cutter approach. We want to do it based on that person's individual, their individual hormone balance that they would have had, you know, when they're twenties and thirties. Right. So kind of wrapping up the list here, a cold hands and feet. So that's one that people come in to see me about saying they have estrogen dominance because they say they have cold hands and feet. They got hair loss. They got foggy thinking. They got memory loss. And honestly, I think that isn't necessarily related to having an estrogen progesterone imbalance. I think that's more to do with adrenals and thyroid. Absolutely. Yeah. Certainly you hear people say all the time or their husbands complain, their hands are always cold. Their feet are always cold. No matter what time of the year it is, it could be summertime. It could be winter. If it's winter, they have an extra sweater on or a, a hoodie or something. They're always just cold. They always have that kind of, you know, very maybe significant, maybe slight bone chill. They never seem to get warm. I think that is one of those classic temperature regulation in that respect is one of those classic thyroid issues, but certainly could also be, especially on the brain side of things, could easily be th adrenals as well. Yeah. So anytime you're looking at estrogen dominance, when you read about it and someone comes in to see you and they say, I have estrogen dominance, you honestly, probably the first place we start at isn't necessarily the estrogen and the progesterone. It's you want to start at the thyroid and the adrenals because the thyroid and the adrenals are a lot of time upstream from the female hormones. And so when they're affected, it causes that estrogen progesterone ratio to be affected. So a lot of times when you're, like I said, you know, people come in thinking, okay, well I have estrogen dominance, fix it. There's so many more hormones, you know, all around it that you want to look at and investigate before, you know, you can't just fix this estrogen dominance per se. Right, right. And when we evaluate someone, we are looking at all of those hormones, right? You predominantly look at, or at least we try to in every situation, look at the metabolic hormones, the insulin, the cortisol, the thyroid, because those primary hormones always affect the secondary hormones, the estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, DHEA, 
it usually doesn't go the other way all that much. It's usually driven that one direction. Now, sometimes we can have an impact on the sex hormone side, you know, with prescriptions and providing hormones, but then we need time to be able to work on the metabolic side because that's the part where there's no medications for. You can't take something to, I mean, you can for your thyroid. That's the exception. That's why we do that because of the kind of the broad sweeping effect that it has. The insulin, the cortisol, those are the challenging ones, right? That comes down to diet and lifestyle. That's why those are kind of ignored sometimes because there's no real medications you can take that properly put them back in balance. Now, we're going to talk about this later on. We're going to talk, of course, as we're getting into the end of the year and the beginning of 2018, that's always a really hot time for weight loss. So we're going to be talking more about that. We have a, a book that we put together, an ebook called the KCCP, which we've talked about way early on before we moved. And we've kind of updated it and made some improvements to it. We're going to talk more about that you know, coming soon. Precisely as what we're talking about, estrogen dominance, the KCCP is part of that discussion. Take managing the insulin and the cortisol, and that helps kind of reduce some of that estrogen burden that someone might have in a case like what we're talking about today. Yeah, because like you said, estrogen and insulin are so closely related. If you can reduce down insulin and cortisol, then you're going to be able to reduce down the estrogen metabolites too. So that's, yeah. We'll definitely, definitely get into that. It does get complicated, right? It's not just you got estrogen dominant, you have an estrogen problem. It is, there's a lot of different things that are all happening all at once. And in medicine, in general, you go to a gynecologist or you go to an endocrinologist or whatever, they try to reduce it down to single things. They reduce it down to these simplified problems and when we're talking hormonal issues, that's why you and I have kind of turned into hormone experts because it's never just that simple as a black and white issue. It's always complicated. It's always involving more than one hormone or a multitude of them. And that's what they're, a patient or a person's presentation kind of tells you that story, but you have to understand what the body's trying to tell you to be able to properly fix it. No, you definitely can't compartmentalize each system. Like I'm estrogen dominant, so you're just focusing on estrogen and progesterone. You know, we're not compartmentalized that way. You know, our body works together. It free flows just like the next one, which is very in trouble sleeping. That's probably, I have a lot of people that come in with that. And then, you know, what do conventional doctors do? Cause they don't really know how to treat those hormones and not, you know, God bless them. They, if you have a, you know, a stage four three or four disease, they'll save your life, but they don't really know what to do when you have trouble sleeping other than giving you Ambien or over-the-counter sleeping pills. And that's definitely not going to balance your estrogen and progesterone or the other hormones. Yeah. We talk to women all the time that have, I mean, that's one of the number one things we talk about or discuss is their sleep trouble, but having too much estrogen really wouldn't be part of the cause of having insomnia. Usually in menopause, it's a lack of estrogen, lack of progesterone, or in most cases, it's having too much or imbalanced cortisol throughout the 24 hour day cycle. So that one, I don't think either one of us really agree that and too much estrogen is not really playing a role on that one. No, no. If too little progesterone, so having an insufficient amount of progesterone being secreted, that can cause you to wake up in the middle of the night and then you can't go back to sleep because when that progesterone drops, the cortisol comes up. But when someone says they have trouble falling asleep, like I burn the midnight oil and I can get my emails done and I feel really good at, you know, 1130 at night, that's really cortisol. Yeah. And we've touched on those in past episodes. We're going to come back to a lot of those in future episodes. These are some of the common classic things that we're going to kind of dive deeper on in future episodes. Now, the last one, just to kind of round out the list before we run out of time is, of course, bloating. Yeah. Bloating. So it depends. Bloating can be 
you know, it's such a broad topic. So when you're looking at estrogen dominance or the estrogen is a little bit too high because estrogen likes to hold on to water, hence, you know, the swollen breasts and the breast tenderness. So if you're estrogen dominant and your estrogen is high, then you're going to actually have water retention probably everywhere. So not just in the breast tissue, but you'll see it in your ankles. You'll see it in your hands. You know, you can see it elsewhere where when you have more low progesterone, but normal estrogen, that normally you'll see more blood in the bowels and the stomach. That's kind of a little differentiation. I mean, I'm not, not 100%, but kind of what you can kind of run with. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a fairly, you know, simple distinction, but definitely, especially if it's the progesterone side, if it's reoccurring like the same time every month, that seven to 10 days before your cycle, that's more than likely for any type of symptom. As we talked about today, the breast tenderness, the bloating, the cramping, those are a lot of times related to the low progesterone as opposed to being related to the estrogen. So that I think is a pretty long list, some very common problems that women are dealing with on a reoccurring basis, things that we hear all the time. And we know a lot of you out there are struggling with them as well. So hopefully this gave some insight, kind of help differentiate because in this world of information we live in, right? We see it all the time too. Patients are doing their research, patients are learning. And I think doctors sometimes don't really like that too much. When people go on Dr. Google, it can be a little frustrating. They go on Dr. Google, and just like a list like this says, they look at it and they have all these things and says, oh, I'm estrogen dominant. Okay, well, that's fine. But hopefully what we've tried to do today is shed some light on some of these things and say, you know, it might not be that clear cut that it's just estrogen dominance. Yeah, that it's not just all about one hormone. It's really about the collection of them all. And I'm sure you listeners, you probably have some questions. You might even have your own stories about this and we would love to hear them. So feel free to email us at help, H-E-L-P at progressyourhealth.com. And we'd love to read it, especially personal stories that you might have. We never share any names or anything like that. That way we can all realize that, I have it. We, you know, especially as females, we, you know, we, we're all in this together. Yeah, right. And getting, you know, really some of the stuff on the internet is great. It's a wonderful resource to have information like that at your fingertips. But sometimes, you know, it's not specific enough. It's not individualized enough. It doesn't provide any context. So when you read things, you really don't know how to decipher. And it can be, you know, more confusing than, than helpful. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to actually provide some of that insight. We're trying to give some context. And that way people can understand their situations just a little bit better. So as you said, help at progressionhealth.com. You can visit the website for more information. Any last thing to add? No, no, this was great. Okay. So until another episode of the Progression Health Podcast, I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.